0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report great to be with you today. We're in the middle of an incredible week, incredible excitement. Uh, I tell you, uh, it's going to be something to see how this week turns out. Um, Elon Musk tweeting about his purchase of Twitter, uh, putting the whole thing on stop. Joe Biden announcing I think he's going to Asia, maybe? Uh, you know, Has there ever been a more clueless president? His numbers have now hit the very bottom, lower than anybody ever thought they could. Uh, we're watching, there was a tweet going around that was showing that the only thing less popular than Joe Biden is the Democrat party uh, they're also trying to put in Trump in the same area of negative uh, uh, approval rating I, I tell you more and more what you're going to see is united a, a united front from the establishment in both parties as well as from the uh, swamp and that is neither Biden nor Trump should run they're going to say there are going to be all kinds of things about how it's not appropriate, someone's so old, blah, 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 because why? Well, they know Biden is a mess, and I think they know he can fail, but he wants to run. He is so full of himself as a historic figure. You read some of the quotes. I was reading Mickey Kouse's Twitter feed where he was – he was one of these uh, tell-all books was quoting Biden in the White House, so just like delusional at his own uh, greatness in the moment in time. But. They don't want him to run because they think he'll lose and he's out of it. But I think that he's going to run and they don't want Trump. They don't want Trump to run. The establishment Republicans, especially. So we're going to see what happens. We've got an interview with uh, Tony. Uh, excuse me, Tony Lyons, who is the president and publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. He's published tons of titles, tons of books for 25 years or so. He ran another publishing house, started his own, which is Skyhorse. Um, he published a book last year by Dershowitz on free speech. He published the the Real Fauci, I think it's called, with uh, by uh, Robert Kennedy, which we had him on a few months ago. Um, uh, Tony Lyons to talk about that we had uh, Robert Kennedy on too and um, the, how they censored him and he's going to talk about this uh, recent letter by Elizabeth Warren where she wrote to Amazon and said stop selling this book I think it's disinformation and she was sued by the publisher and it looks like she won and it looks like the court's saying, well, that's free speech. Tony Lyons doesn't think so. So we'll uh, talk to him and hear about that. And we also will uh, have a chance to catch up, speaking of free speech, with Rahim Kassan. Rahim Kassan is uh, the publisher of The National Pulse and a very, very good communicator, uh, does podcasts and writes books, uh, has a perspective. He was one of Nigel Farage's lieutenants in the Brexit fight, uh, then came over to America and has been a great commentator on on where we are. So we'll talk with him in a few moments um, but first, what you need to know today, uh, a lot of attention, and I want to come to it uh, because the media is trying to scare the country and, and trying to frame things in a way that are negative, that aren't negative, or at least are simply a debate. And that here's the debate. The debate right now in this country should be, do you want in the next week to uh, change American law? allow American law to change so that we have 10,000, 20,000, probably more like 10,000 illegal aliens pouring across the border every day. That's what's set to happen. We have tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands that have already crossed the border. You see the images. But as of the 23rd of May, one of the laws on the books that says that we can limit the number of people coming will, will expire. Biden is happy to let it expire. And it's, Katie, bar the doors. Literally, it's open up the borders and across the southern border and across Latin America. This has been known for months that May 23rd is a key date and they've been massing. People have been massing to come to America. Now, the only question in, in people's minds should be this question. What is your preference? Do you prefer that we have a border and we secure the border and then we make decisions about who we let in or do we have no border And we just let everybody come in, whoever they are, whether they're terrorists, whether they're drug dealers, whether they're nice people, whether they're engineers who want to get good jobs. I don't know. But right now we're headed towards one of the great transformations in American life because of the sheer size, the sheer number of people that are coming. The number of people that are coming in the next days, it outstrips anything else we've ever done in the past. So what has happened is in order to try to distract from the disaster that is the Biden administration and the Democrat leadership in Congress, the failure they 've done nothing of, of, of they 've done nothing of substance that they can point to. they can only point to other people, and in this case they 're saying so and so 's a white supremacist, such and such has a racist policy. And the great, the one that they're pointing to right now is the great replacement. They say that the great replacement is a racist idea proposed by people. Now, I'm with Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Senator Johnson was asked about this. He said, "I don't even know what you're talking about. It. You're saying the great replacement like you're talking about like the Book of Matthew. Like I know what that is." It's been a part of our lives, or better, because that's the Bible and that's scripture and it's holy. Better say let's um let's talk about the, the uh the the uh, Bill of Rights. Ah, the Bill of Rights. Are you for the Bill of Rights or against the Bill of Rights? Well, we have a history. We know what that is. I don't really know what the Great Replacement is. I haven't I haven't studied if there's one canonical description. I don't know what it is. And that, but they're trying to say that's racist. But here's the real question: the real question. Starting in 2004, leading Democrat strategists said. If we let in more people of color from these uh, other countries and let them in, we can change the voting populace, change the nature of the, the way America looks. That, that's a preference. That, that's not illegal. That's not improper to have a preference. What may be illegal is not enforcing the laws or looking the other way or not telling the truth about what you're doing. But for the Democrats, for about a decade, from about 04 until '14, until the middle of Obama's time, they were comfortable saying publicly that they did intend to have america changed by their policies no less an authority than the late senator ted kennedy who was instrumental in passing the law in the late and middle 1960s that tra- changed our immigration uh, immigration status immigration laws he admitted that too he said i prefer to let people into our country and change the country that's my preference now is that was was teddy kennedy for the great replacement i'm not sure i never heard him say that I mean, Teddy Kennedy, I think, insofar as he had any deep thoughts, he would have said something like, you know, my family's experience as immigrants was echoing this experience. Of course, the the difference is and where the preference is, is it's not 1900. It's it's two thousand and twenty two. The economy is not the same as it was in 1900. The the way we live is not the same as it was in 1900. The kinds of uh, of uh, jobs available, the way things work in the country, not the same. And so to say we're going to have the same immigration policy as 1900 as we do today is is like saying you're going to have the same policy on uh, transportation and roads because even before there were cars, right? In 1900 there were cars, but not many, very few actually. So the idea of the great replacement, uh, Tucker's for the great replacement, so-and-so is a racist for the great replacement, that is distracting from the real argument about what America should be. And my argument has been for many years now, we should be a nation of laws, we have laws, we should be a nation of borders, we should secure our borders, and after we're done with all that, we should have a conversation about who gets to come. But certain laws have to be changed, like the very, very misguided law that is the quote-unquote anchor babies' birthright citizenship that no one else in the world allows as a policy. Whereas if you, where, where you come to America and have a baby, the baby's a citizen and can, through chain migration, bring the rest of the family in. That, that doesn't work. Whether it ever worked is up for grabs, but it doesn't work now. I'm mean, i not ready to... I don't know the history enough to know. I don't know. I think it's a lie that was perpetrated in part by the Supreme Court, by a Supreme Court decision, and then by the Justice Department and others not enforcing the law. But be that as it may, we are where we are. We need to change it now. So that when you come to America for a visit and have a baby, the baby's not a citizen. Or even more incredible, if you come illegally and have a baby... The baby's not a citizen or if even more incredibly, if you take a plane from the Dominican Republic to Newark, New Jersey and take the e- DR to the ER is that they call it and go to the emergency room and have a baby because you're eight and a half months pregnant, the baby gets to be a citizen and, and all the rest of the things come in behind it. That's insanity. That's not an that's not a serious country. But back to the question, it's simply a preference. It's it's a policy preference and it's a big, complicated policy issue, but it's simply a preference. Do you prefer a, a nation that is adding millions of people, tens of millions in the last 20 years, into our nation at this moment? Is that, That's a preference. You don't have to be racist. We're not saying where they're from or what they look like or anything else. And my argument has been we have to have a pause and we have to secure our borders in part because I'm not sure we are assimilating any newcomers, and any of ourselves, our own kids, through our education system and through our civic institutions in such a way that we can feel confident that we know what the future of America is. Again, that's not racism. That's nationalism. That's a question of what we want as a nation. Whatever your background, whatever your history, wherever your forefathers and foremothers came from, That's the question. And what's the distraction is, if you have a preference that's different than the mainstream media and the establishment and the left, then you're racist. That's what they're trying to do. Now, again, it's not working because normal Americans are like, what? What are you talking about? I'm not interested in the replacement theory. I just want you to secure the border. I'm not interested in some theory. I just want you to stop the border crossings of 107,000 deaths from uh, overdose last year and sex trafficking and uh, 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 overdoses from fentanyl that don't kill and on and on and on. And yes, it drives down labor. Uh, People do get paid less when there's more illegal immigration. Of course. That's a policy preference, not a racism, not a replacement question. It's a policy preference. And we ought to be able to have that. And people do have it. And that's what you need to know. Don't be distracted by what they call a theory when it's just a preference on how we should live together, what we're doing. Normal things. we got to take a break. We'll come back with uh, Tony Lyons as well as Raheem Kassam. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Don't forget... If you like this, share it, pass it on, go uh, to our Twitter feed at Eagle Ed Martin, and go to PromarketReport.com Sign up for the daily emails. Be right back. Welcome back, welcome back, Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. It's been a while since we uh, talked to, to the publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. He's the president and publisher over there, Tony Lyons. Uh, I was uh, Tony as I was preparing. We we're going to talk about this issue. Senator Elizabeth Warren's decided that as a senator, she can write letters to try to shut down Amazon, which is exactly what all of us fear. And there is a court case out there. But I was going to tell you, uh, Tony, you published a lot of books. We were together on the radio a few months ago on the uh, Bob, Robert Kennedy's uh, book the real anthony fauci uh, but also alan dershowitz wrote a book that skyhorse publishing published about a year and a two or three months ago april of 2021 called the case against the new censorship short book really good dershowitz is one of the smartest guys around i don't always agree with him on politics but it's certainly smartest guy guys around so you you guys uh tony at skyhorse and you in particular as a publisher and president have been on the front of this what do you think As as a businessman and then as a publisher, you know, you care about the uh, First Amendment when you see a senator, any senator could be Ted Cruz, could be Elizabeth Warren, who decides they're going to say, I want you to I'm going to be the uh, information police. What's what goes through your head?
2: Yeah, so my position is that that has to be unconstitutional, that, you know, she's speaking for the U.S. government. She's a senator. You know, she, she can't write letters to private companies. There's an implied threat there. There's a chance that, you know, they could be broken up. There could be other consequences. She could vote against something that matters to them. I mean, she's in a position of power and she's trying to get a third party to do something that she can't do herself.
1: Yeah. And, and we're by the way, we're talking again with Tony Lyons and I'll put up on social media, the website skyhorsepublishing.com, all the stuff he's writing about. Let me set the st- stage a little better, Tony. I, I sort of swallowed my own uh, background on this. Senator Warren, she wrote a letter about to Amazon about a book called The Truth About COVID-19. And she said it's misinformation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then on and on. And actually, she was the courts have said um, she's allowed to write that letter. So there was a, you know a, a Robert Kennedy and others went into court and said, hey, you can't do that. And the courts have said so. So far, you can say it as a matter of sales. I hate to say it like this. And and people getting to hear the voices, doesn't any controversy help? I mean, in a weird way, does does it help to have for half the country or a third of the country that wakes up and says, I want to read that because of what they hear? I I guess that's a a business point, not a not a constitutional point. But how does it work when somebody like Warren does this? Does Amazon move? Do you know? uh, Can you tell what's what happens to the sale of books?
2: I mean, generally, in the last couple of years, when, you know, there's been really tough censorship, and it's been overt, and people feel like they're being told not to read a book, they're being told what to think, you know, they don't like that. And, you know, people in this country don't like that, and they rebel against that. And the the rebellion comes in the form of of buying books in a lot of cases. So you're right, you know, that that, uh, censorship doesn't work, people are flocking to alternative kind of you know, TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, and they're dropping the mainstream media. And, you know, big tech is suffering because of that, because they're engaging with the government in censorship and people know that and they want to get real news. They want to get real dialogue and debate and they're and they're tired of this.
1: Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Tony Lyons. He's the president and the publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. They published a bunch of books themselves. What uh, practically what happens when a letter like that gets targeted to Amazon? Do you do you as a publisher know what Amazon does? Does Amazon send you a uh, a message that says, "Hey, one of your books is flagged. We're looking at it." You know, like on Twitter, people will see it all the time. Uh, your post has been flagged. You got a twelve hours in the penalty box uh, or something like that. Is that what happens practically to, to when a book is targeted by like Elizabeth Warren? Do you know?
2: Yeah. So what I think happened here is, you know, if you go on to Amazon now and you look the book up, you know, right. look up the real Anthony Fauci and you'll see at the top of the page, it says something like, you know, for up to date information on COVID, go to the CDC website. So they're kind of engaging in, in softer forms of censorship. So there's that so that they're basically saying the information in this book isn't up to date information this is something that a senator has told us is misinformation we don't really know but you know go to the cdc website so you know that that's one of the consequences of it and then there's another thing where where you see books like this um if you look up the real anthony fauci and you spell everything right you put the author's name in you go right to the book right but what you don't find with a with this new soft censorship is that the algorithms are turned off. Hmm. So what happens is you, you look up a lot of similar books and you don't get the real Anthony Fauci. Right. So with almost any other best-selling book, if, if you look up a best-selling book on politics, right. you will then you know, get notifications. If you like this, you'd probably like this. Um, you know, so you get set up into this system where your book is recommended to people who bought anything like it. So what happens with these kinds of books is that they don't get recommended to anybody ever. So the only way you can find them is if you look for them specifically.
1: When I was looking and reading about your biography, you know, um, where, again, Tony Lyons, you, you, you know, your, your career, you're an attorney, you've, you know, went into this uh, 20, almost 20 years ago, you started uh, Skyhorse. And, and, and one of the things I noticed, though, is it says something like um, distribution of the books goes through Simon and Schuster. And I think I know enough to know that when you, you know, you can publish books, you can actually make the copies. There are, there are like, I don't know if it's middleman is the right word, but there's people next into the marketplace that help you get your books out there. They're distribution centers. I mean, if you're, if you're selling eggs and somebody has the route to get all your eggs to the supermarkets, that's the person you want to talk to. I think I, so I may be oversimplifying it. What happens though, when Amazon becomes, like it does, the biggest distributor of everything. And, and and I mean, I know where I'm going. I mean, I know where I think the answer is. But in terms of books, has a has a publisher like Skyhorse and others, others that have popped up and able to say, well, we can sort of go around them because we have networks of social media and networks of, of emails and such. Or are you just sort of, uh, I mean, over time, starved out of the market? Yeah, so
2: that, that's one possible problem, and, and we've seen that kind of thing. Like You take the uh, New York Times treatment of the real Anthony Fauci, so they wouldn't let us place an advertisement. Right. They didn't review the book that sold a million copies. They did a hit piece on the author. Um, in its first week, the book sold you know many, many thousands more copies than any other book in, in America, and the New York Times listed it as a number five bestseller. Wow. And they listed their own book, The 1619 Project, that had sold, you know, tens of thousands of copies less that week as right. the number one New York Times bestselling book. Um, and, and that was a book that was written by one of their staff writers and it was you know on a project that was funded by the New York Times. Right. So, you know, that that's another form of kind of censorship or of, you know, um, trying to convince the public that things are different than they really are. So they're I-
1: uh, Tony uh, again. Tony Lines, our guest. He's the president and publisher of Skyhorse Publishing. I go to SkyhorsePublishing.com. dot uh, com. Again, Tony, you started in publishing uh 97 i guess i'm looking now at at, at your bio more so you've, you've actually been in this for 25 years directly as a publisher now and skyhorse since 2006 um and you've adjusted you've you have changed ebooks comes in all that and you've thrived you got you know uh, all kinds of authors and, and all kinds of titles over 750 titles and planned in the next year whatever how how where are we going though where is this going both in terms of the the ability to publish and then to market through Amazon or through Google. I mean, I I tell people all the time Twitter is fun to fight over and it certainly is massively influential in politics, but I see Amazon and Google search as the thing that's changing our lives that we don't even realize.
2: Yeah, so I think that that things are actually getting better now that there's, you know, that there's a real sense that people know exactly what's going on, you know, that millions and millions of people recognize what the censorship looks like. They Know who not to trust, and they're looking more and more for new platforms. You see people, you know, flocking to new platforms. Something like Joe Rogan would have been unheard of, you know, five years ago. That something like 11 million people, you know, watch some of the segments. I mean, those are just crazy numbers. That's three times any, you know, prime time TV show. So, you know, that I think is a sign that people are just, you know, like I said before, tired of being told what to do, what to think, what to read. And, and, and they're just not accepting it anymore. And I think that you're going to see more and more of that and that people are, are going to recognize that censorship just doesn't work and that if you want to convince people of something in a democratic country, you have to have a better argument. You have to make an argument, not just call it misinformation or disinformation, you know, which everybody knows now that those phrases just mean that you disagree with the narrative and that you know, you're trying to do anything you can To convince people that it's not the right narrative short of doing what you should be doing, which is making your argument and trying to convince people of something.
1: Right. Right. All right. Hey, Tony Lyons, thank you for grabbing some time with us. I know we were uh, grabbing uh, some of you out of your day. Tony Lyons, the publisher and president of dot com. We'll have you back on again. Thank you for all you're doing and for the great books you've been publishing. And uh, I will say the real Anthony Fauci. I hadn't read it when I first got flagged to have you on. And I got it as an audible, a book on tape and listen to it. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's an extraordinary eye opening book. So uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. That's great. Thanks so much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. We got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. It's been a while since we talked to my old friend, Rahim Kassam. I walked into him one day on Capitol Hill a, a while ago. He is uh, all over the place uh, on, on, on uh, media and uh, getting in Twitter battles and all kinds of things. But the thing that's right now, I have to say, uh, Rahim, most valuable. Oh, I also heard you're out in St. Louis for a wedding and took some of the uh, some of the younger guys out and showed them how to uh, have a pint or two. I got some reports on that. We'll talk off the air. But uh, uh, the most, <laughs> most most valuable thing you're doing, if I can say, is the national pulse. Because you're getting all kinds of folks that are over there helping you. If it started out as a one man show, it's now uh, so much more uh, investigative reporters and all. So first of all, uh, Raheem, welcome back. And second, how, how does uh, uh, something like the National Pulse continue to succeed where you you are stepping on toes regularly enough so it's kind of like you've got to walk the line of being canceled and also wanting frankly some of the attention of being on the edge um how how does that how is it how have you navigated a lot of others have tried and sort of stalled it seems like you've settled into a rhythm that's working pretty well
3: well ed uh thank you very much for having me back and and just to take umbrage with one of the things you said (laughs) i don't think the most valuable thing i do is the national pulse i think the most valuable thing i do is teach young american men how to drink properly there are other things out there than light beers. And, yeah, I see.
1: Um, but... I see. That's right. That's the reports in. <laughs> that's the reports in from St. Louis. Uh, Raheem Kasam went all the way to the Mecca of brewing, a home of Anheuser Busch and the Bushes. And and uh, and as I reported, was at a wedding. And and um, the mother of the bride, repo- the mother of the bride, reported Raheem that there was a couple of the lads stayed out till uh, the wee hours with Raheem Kasam learning uh, the importance of this subject. Anyway, so here we are, the National <laughs> Pulse When National National yeah. the National By the way, for folks that go online. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, well, look, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the question, because I don't think we do have to toe that line of cancellation carefully at all, because we have long been canceled. The National Pulse does not, not have a Twitter account anymore. We've been canceled from email service providers. There are just so many things that we now are not able to do. So we're having to innovate in real time. And one of those innovations is creating a community of people out there who believe in what we do. And we have this entire network of people who give $5 or $10 a month, but then they're not just supporting us. They're becoming part of a community. I do meetups with them all across the country. Um, I regularly invite them to uh, speeches and other things that I'm being part of that they wouldn't necessarily find out about without being part of our community we even have, you know, things like discounts on products and books, and we don't sell, you know, any old thing. We we offer services in the intellectual space. We train people up to to do what we're doing. Uh, a number of people who have even written for our site have come from that community. So we're training more young reporters, more young journalists, more people to do research and hard investigative reporting because there is a serious, serious lack. Old serious reporting out
1: there. Oh, again, we're talking with Raheem Kasam the nationalpulse.com dot com. If you go see there, they've got a podcast. I mentioned Natalie Winters was on with us uh, last week. She does a lot of investigative reporting and writing. Uh, Raheem, um, one thing I did do especially like, and I and I so I as I address this specific story, it's also a, sort of a, a mindset. Um, National Pulse, you have a piece that you wrote a, a week or so ago, could have been longer about uh, Project Veritas and the subpoenas. That were uh, aimed at them, but then you take a different line and look at this and say, "Wait a second, who's doing this?" And so this piece goes into some detail on the lawyer who's pushing it. It's the same lawyer for Cuomo. It's the same lawyer for Ashley Biden. Uh, and the point here is sort of—I don't know if the phrase is right—but punching back. I I'm not just saying taking the bait, where you say, "Oh, Project Verdas has a subpoena against them." That sounds damning. Uh, if you lay the whole context, it sounds like. A political battle. I, that mindset is different and necessary. And I think that's kind of your, your approach personally, but then it's uh, through into the National Pulse.
3: Yeah. And look, I think, you know, we take a consistent approach in our research to, to follow the money and to follow the, the, the personnel train. And this story in particular has a personnel, uh, uh, you know, c- chain of connections between people from the Biden family, right down to the person who is issuing these subpoenas against Project Veritas. And one of the reasons that I I find this story and this whole uh, narrative to be so interesting is that I think a lot of the audience will remember the weaponization of the IRS during the Obama administration. What you're seeing... Now, today, is the weaponization of information in the sense of not just not just bombarding people with, with state propaganda or party propaganda, those things we in the West are quite used to. In fact, we miss them when they're not around. We love the rough and tumble of our politics, and so we should. But the difference here is now you have the apparatus of state that is pursuing journalists for simply reporting on the people at the top of the apparatus of state. Well, that is what you see in Eastern Europe. That is what you see in banana republics. That is what you see in third world countries. And that is a practice that is becoming commonplace here. I talk often about the in- importance of serious reporting. The Project Veritas is one of the only organizations out there anymore that does real, serious, in-your-face, you know, unscripted, unedited, unvarnished uh, news reporting for the wider public to see what's really going on at the top of public institutions, at the top of major corporations who have monopolies over public information. And now we see that the, that the uh, attorney who is representing Ashley Biden, uh, the, the, the daughter of Joe Biden, President of the United States, has connection, direct connections to the people who are issuing the subpoenas against Project Veritas hmm. for reporting on Ashley Biden's diary. Well, if that is not corruption, if that is not a conflict of interest, then I'm afraid you may as well throw your entire rule of law out because this is this is as bad as it gets when it comes to nepotism and and state corruption.
1: Uh, we're talking again with Raheem Kassam. Raheem Kassam, of course, is editor in chief of the National Pulse, thenationalpulse.com, dot com, and uh, a lot more. Also, one, one of the co founders of the War Room podcast, uh, uh, writing a couple of books he's got under his belt. On this story, um, is is the is the It's hard to say this because I don't really mean it, but I want to mean it. Is it possible Mm. that the coverage and exposure of these conflicts and what happened to Veritas has protected Veritas now that they're not? going to be targeted or is it the same game as so many other things where they wait until the public moves on and you've still got, you know, you still got O'Keefe and his team having to spend tens of thousands of dollars on lawyers and, and probably hundreds of thousands by the time it's done. It, do, you, do you, in other words, do you think Raheem that when the, the sun shines in, it can disinfect it and kind of clear things up or, or are, are we still, you know, are you still worried that this circles back around?
3: Well, it's, it, that's a very good question, and, and unfortunately, uh, these tactics, although effective, you know, shining a light on who and how much and and what it cost and where the money came from, all of those, you know, real things that I think the the sons and daughters, journalistically speaking, of Andrew Breitbart, uh, like James O'Keefe, like like people like myself who grew up learning from uh, you know Breitbart's tactics in reporting, shining a light on these things does make a difference, but. And I'm, re- I'm reminded of a, a, a panel I did at CPAC a few years ago when uh, somebody alongside me stood up and said, well, of course, Margaret Thatcher ended socialism in the United Kingdom. And I turned to him and I said, have you been to the United Kingdom recently? <laughs> you know, we, we 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 can defer things, we can defer tactics, we can defer, uh, we can prolong the periods of time that we are able to become aggressive in return, but this will not always keep Keep the 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 evil, the apparatus of the state that is corruptly used off our backs indefinitely. And James O'Keefe knows that. So he understands that you shine a light on something they don't like. What you're shining the light on, so they shine a light on you, but you shine a light back on them. That only has a period of time, which it buys you. You have to then go on the offensive. And this is, you know, this is another thing I've been writing about recently. This this dark maga thing that people are seeing spreading up on social media lately that is the idea that you don't simply take defensive tactics politically all the time you have to go on the front foot
1: yeah uh we're talking with raheem kassam uh raheem one more question because i i, I know you, mm. you're busy times going um about you know y- your observation i mean you you got famous i'd say uh, if that's the right word for being one of uh, nigel farage's advisors and spokesmen and the brexit uh, phenomenon which you know uh, uh, whether it uh only predated uh, Trump or, uh, you know, uh, predicted Trump uh, is a question we could debate over a million pints. But um, now we're into this mm-hmm. primary season. We're into this period of time where the media is like, oh, wow, this is weird. All these people are are uh, they look a lot like populists. They look kind of fed up with the status quo. They're continually at least they pretend they're surprised by this. Where are we in America now where you're now a participant and a keen observer, but in this in this history of this movement, where are we in this populist uh, thing? Are we are we cresting? Are we is it getting more uh, frustrating? Is the edge in this becoming uh, more harsh? You know, there was a point and you were I think you were overseas and then but the the Tea Party sort of crested and then dissipated. It kind of faded. Then it burst back Mm -hmm. and so energy. So where do you think we are in this sort of energy of the of the populace?
3: um i love this question because i could probably talk for about four or five hours about this and i (laughs) and i often without hitting the record button on any device i often do um i i am typically somebody who i'm optimistic but i'm i'm always cynical as well of the of the the, the machinations around us and the people uh, that, are, that are said to be representing conservatives in America. So I understand, and I don't mean to diminish at all people's excitement about the midterms. For instance, there is obviously a, a, a trajectory that we're seeing playing out in the country due to all manner of things and all manner of things that conservatives have stuck by their guns on and been called all manner of things for and been shut out of civil society for. And people should should take a pat on the back for for bracing and and seeing down the establishment in those regards. However, however. I always like to say that you must be wary of the McLeadership. If you have the, the McDaniels, McCarthy's and McConnell's in charge of the Republican Party apparatus in all manner of different forms, then you are only providing yourself a very narrow path of what conservatism and representing conservative values from an institutional perspective looks like. That is not a wide berth of conservative thought amongst those people. It's very narrow. If you're comfortable seeing that in January and seeing what it turns into legislatively, take your chances, you know, you make your choice. I happen to believe that there has to be something else, some more populist leadership at the heart of the Republican party apparatus in that real change can be achieved and that we don't see a, look, I think the Tea Party got captured in a lot of ways, right? Right, It got captured by corporate interest. It got captured by foundational interest. Uh, And of course, that's what happens with everything. I mean, I was talking about this last night. You look at, you look around at most American cities now, most restaurants and things like that are hipster. Now, hipsters have disappeared, but they won the culture. You know, the (laughs) barbecue restaurants are serving funny sides and all that stuff. They won that culture (laughs) and then they left and have started. Now, the Tea Party does that as well. It reinvents itself because it gets captured by the culture, captured by corporations, and it has to innovate and it has to keep innovating. That's why I'm so excited when I see people getting onto their school boards and taking the fight to their school boards and getting, the. you know, it's it's not a, just a trope it's not just a truism it's far more important to be involved at the local level than it is to vote for your national candidates that just is the fact of the matter at the moment and so six of one half a dozen of the other I'm hedging my answer I understand but course for optimism but also cause for concern
1: yeah all right raheem kassam thank you again for uh, taking the time and again the nationalpulse.com a million ways you can uh participate and get uh, e- enter and be a part of that community raheem kassam's the editor-in-chief over there i appreciate it very much we'll talk again soon raheem
3: thank you ed. Cheers.
1: All, all right we'll take a quick break everybody be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis
1: Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Violent video games, graphic movies, and constant chatter from the mainstream media have desensitized many Americans to the horror of open warfare. Convinced of its normality by cocky, hawkish politicians, many Americans are being led down a destructive path. Mere months after escaping a decades-long quagmire in the Middle East, some are already chomping at the bit in their bloodlust. Unnecessary wars are good only for the media, weapons manufacturers, and pompous politicians, most of whom never served in combat themselves. The immediate harm to Americans is the soaring cost of gasoline, which our politicians should be addressing instead of rushing to send lethal weapons to Ukraine. Congress should reverse the ban on new domestic oil and gas drilling, which Joe Biden announced on his first day in office, and he reiterated it last month in defiance of a federal court order. China can buy all the oil and any other Russian products that are blocked from being imported here. India and Pakistan also declined to participate in sanctions against Russia, so such political stunts don't really affect Russia that much. Venezuela, a communist regime that we are already unsuccessfully punishing through sanctions, stands to gain from a ban on Russian oil. Not only dollars are at risk in Joe Biden's misguided approach, lives are lost when Congress pours kerosene on the fire in Ukraine. Before anyone endorses entanglement by globalists in another war in a faraway land that we never promised to defend, Americans should ask the obvious questions that come with such drastic action. Are you personally willing to engage in deadly combat and possibly be killed for this cause? If not you, would you be comfortable sending your father, your brother, your husband, or your son? How many lives are worth spending in defense of an oligarchy ranked 92nd most democratic in the world out of 176 nations by the democracy matrix? There comes a time when war is absolutely justified, and I would support it wholeheartedly. However, dangerous foreign policy decisions that could lead to armed conflict should be considered with the utmost scrutiny. Rash foreign policy can have truly deadly consequences on a global scale.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report hey let's finish up. i have a i just have a couple of minutes but i'm i've started to think about messages i really want to impart to my listeners also as a standalone segment if you're listening to this on the internet or, or anywhere else it's about going to be about two minutes i just want to tell you a very distinct message it's kind of a another what you need to know but today uh, and that is they are coming for tucker carlson and when I say they, I mean the left, the Democrats, the establishment, the moneyed interests. He is far too independent a voice and a voice that is so far uncancelable. And if you watch the uh, the effort of the media and the left and the Democrats and the establishment to connect Tucker Carlson with the Buffalo Madman, the shooter, you're seeing just the opening salvo. I, I am not going I'm, I'm not joking when I tell you it is going to be an onslaught like we have not seen to try to take him off the table and get silence his voice before 2024 because there's almost no... one I Look, in, in right now in political life, in sort of grassroots politics, you have people who listen to the radio, listen to podcasts, but you have no dominant voice. You know, you can't... Hannity's voice on radio or TV is not as strong. Uh, you know, there's no Rush Limbaugh. You can have people who are writers. A lot of people like to read. They like to read uh, Victor Davis Hansen regularly or Ann Coulter. Uh, you've got on TV, you've got... Uh, uh, different kinds of uh, of smaller voices that people will you know say that they watch Fox News in the morning. You'll see Kilmeade and others, and and there's only one Tucker. There's no Rush Limbaugh. Donald Trump is on Truth Social, and that's it. His uh, rallies are covered only sort of nominally, minimally, and Tucker Carlson has a dominant voice very very articulate he's a great writer he's above average writer i shouldn't say great he's a very very good writer and he writes himself he considers himself a writer first and as the late phyllis schlafly said if you write enough your thinking can't be too soft it can't be too unclear that's my characterization she basically said being a good writer means you're a good thinker but uh it is extraordinary what tucker's value is and he is going to be targeted He is going to be targeted big time. So watch for the Tucker uh, targeting because they're coming for him in terms of canceling and trying to minimize his voice. And that's a big problem if they succeed. So watch for that. All right, everybody. Thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. And we'll be back tomorrow. Talk to you then.
0: This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.